Welcome back to the summer syllabus, the summer work you actually want to complete. I know that's a little bit different from our previous little slogan motto, but we're having a rebrand. Um, Hannah said, passion first, <laughs> branding second. It's so, just when, you're, when you have such a deep passion for your work and you know your um, passion project, you lead with the passion and then the branding and the PR and, you know, people actually listening to your podcast come second. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we may rebrand like two to three more times. You never know. <laughs> this, this could be our slogan from now on. I don't know. And, and we have to know what feels right. We'll let it sit for a little bit. Let it simmer. Marinate. And, yeah. Marinate like our salmon that we used to cook. Oh, what I would do for that salmon right now. Oh. Love some soy vey in love. the air fryer. <laughs> okay, um. so today, on today's episode, we will be recapping season two of Never Have I Ever. Instead of, you know, starting with something brand new, why f- fix something that's broke? Don't fix why fi- it. Don't, don't fix, fix, don't fix it. it. Yeah, if that's it ain't broke, don't fix it. So because we've got such we've gotten such rave reviews for our first all of our 13 listeners thank you thank you to our 13 listeners out there we love you love you so Um, much (laughs) we decided to just continue on this train of never have ever also because season two just came out and obviously Hannah and I binged it also I have to make an announcement mom if you're listening I just said Hannah and I for you. I didn't say me and Hannah. <laughs> my mom has been correcting my grammar in this podcast. Rachel like, Kaufman, we love you I was like, so dear. Mom, this isn't schoolwork. This is my passion project. It's a passion project. I did, in fact, listen back to our two earlier podcasts. I mean, I made a few grammar mistakes. I do, in fact, say the word like so oh me often. too I noticed that I say like and um so I'm really sorry and I and do then. sound like I am a buffoon no. however I just used uh-huh. like correctly because it was a me- it was a simile so there you go true you do not sound like a buffoon ever you sound like an educated queen thanks girl <laughs> thanks That's what I'm it's just trying truth. to be it's the truth so Never have I ever season two. We want to start with a quick recap. Spoilers ahead. In case you have not listened to our first two episodes, our introduction, and then we also did a recap of Never Have I Ever season one. So go listen to those first and then come back to us because it makes sense, obviously, to do it in this <laughs> order or else you're going to be really confused. I'll be all shooken up with the syllabus. You you need to follow it chronologically. There's no time constraints or time limits, but chronological is preferred. That's the one thing we will tell you. I think we all need to follow the syllabus in exact order. If you know what what that's a reference from, you're great. If you don't, it's a clip of Victoria. Okay. This is one tangent that I'm going to go on. Victoria's going to kill me, but um, there's a clip. So apparently in case you didn't know the um cinematic thriller series that was victorious on teen nick my namesake <laughs> uh yes by namesake the eponymous victorious um victoria justice starred in that show with ariana grande elizabeth gilbert um gillies. that's gillies elizabeth gillies elizabeth gilbert don't can't be too sure i should have just stopped at ariana grande because then i was about to say trina and that's not her real name it's janelle monet 
right? Yeah, that's her real name. Okay. No, no. <laughs> Wait, Jelma May is somebody different. Like, that is a completely, different. completely different. Her last name is Monet, though. Hold on. I need to know who this is. Victorious. Isn't Janelle Monet? Did I just get her very confused with a different person? Yeah. Uh, Daniela Monet. Okay. Sorry. My, my learning disability strike again. But apparently Victoria Justice was a bit of a drama queen on the set of Victorious. And there's this like iconic interview of her where they're asking the cast. So it's her, Elizabeth Gillies and Ariana Grande. And they're all on a line and they're talking about people who sing on set, what even when they're not filming and when they're not in their character. So Elizabeth goes, I think Ariana, like, I think we can all agree Ariana sings the most. And Victoria Justice gets so mad and she stops the interview and she goes, I think we all sing a lot. Just like, it just goes to show that like Tori was the worst character in the whole show. Tori woke up and chose violence every single day. Yeah, for sure. Okay, but this is not a recap of Victorious, although we could do a recap of Victorious. We could, say less. We could totally devote a whole episode to Victorious. 100%. 100%. 100%. Not me showing off my toast merch that says 100%, although you guys can't see because this is the podcast. But thank God you can't see. Yeah, thank God you can't see us. But this is the recap of Never Have I Ever. So let's dive into that. We ended off last season with a steamy kiss between Davy and Ben in his car right after um, Davy and her mom and Kamala spread uh, Mohan's ashes, which was a very emotional time. And then this season picks up right at that scene where Davy's mom comes and she's like banging on the window. And she's like, <laughs> wait, there was actually a really funny line that she says She's like, you're kissing your dad. You're kissing this boy right after you spread your dad dad's ashes. What are you going to do? Have sex on top of my casket? Like it was, it was so funny. She goes, I pray it's a closed casket. <laughs> and then she looks right at Ben and she goes, it's always the short ones. <laughs> she has the best one-liners. She, I mean, she just comes on the show and I know I said this last time, but I can't stop laughing. I was rewatching obviously with my mom last always night the and short ones. she was in she walks in on Paxton and um, Davy, Davy tutoring Paxton, and she's like, "Can't you do it from further apart? You don't need to be that close when you're tutoring him." Oh my god, she iconic character. We're gonna dive way more into Lenny yes. and her whole deal this whole season. But so, jumping back to the recap, yes, Davy has this this big decision to make because we also find out that Paxton is waiting outside of her house for her when she gets back. I think they're in Malibu, right? They yes, they were in Malibu. So Paxton, after she has this kiss with Ben, she goes back home and Paxton's like, has been waiting outside for hours and he tries to play it off, you know, all cool. Paxton, Paul Yoshida, P-H-Y. Okay. Paxton, Paul Yoshida, trying to play it cool with his abs and all that. He hasn't been waiting for long. And we find out that he actually has basically been waiting there for hours for Davy to come back. And Davy is like, has this choice to make. Like, do I want Ben? Do I want Paxton? And she decides not to make a decision. She decides to choose basketball Both. and music. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because why can't you be in the spring? Because if there's 
anything I've learned, it's that you can do both. Even if you're playing a D1 sports at a school, you can also find time to be in the musicals. Because Spring Musical. Sorry, the Spring Musical, because those would never conflict with each other. Right. And because they're from very different friend groups and hang out in very different circles, she's like, this should be easy. She actually decides to date both of them I think she's sitting with Fabiola and Eleanor and they're like I don't even remember what she they said make a pros and cons both and she's like I should date both yes she just immediately decides that that's what's going to be best for her because she thought that Paxton blew her off in school but really Paxton still liked her and was committed to dating her publicly um but at that point that Paxton kissed her she was had already verbally committed to Ben. Um, So there was a bit of an issue with that. So she dates both of them. Obviously they both find out that they've been two-timed at a party that she throws. And at the party, she runs- cringing that whole time. She runs after. So they both find out because Davey gets jealous of this other thought. Who's that thought? What's her name? Who? The one who date who keeps being like, I'm not dating Paxton. And she's like, Can you say it actually? Oh, I don't even I don't even know her name. It's one of Ben's it's Ben's ex-girlfriend's friend. 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 <laughs> yeah. One of the popular girls is yeah, like of- basically saying, Oh, I'm dating Paxton. But Davy's like, she keeps like doing that thing. Yes. Oh, I'm not dating him. What are you talking about? Yes. I'm not actually dating him. And Davey freaks out because as we know, her and John McEnroe both have intense anger issues. So she kind of blows her top. She's like, you're not dating Paxton. I'm dating Paxton. And of course, as cinematically as it could be, Ben is standing right behind her. Naturally. Naturally. And finds out. And then... There's like and then this- she, but the thing is, once she finds out, once they both find out, she runs after Paxton, after Paxton not right. Ben, important and tidbit. We find out a little bit later that that's really what hurt Ben the most. I'm sure yeah. if she had stayed with, like, stayed and tried to comfort Ben, things could have gone a little different. Things, it's the, it's a sliding doors, we'll never know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like that is a bit of a telltale sign, though, that she chose to run after Paxton. It, no, it 100% is. Ben was high and dry in the dust being a yeah. little, like, in his coat, in his, like, athletic sweatsuit <laughs> co- attire. Okay, so are you Team Ben or Team Paxton? I'm Team Ben 100, 100%. Not I'm- only have I DM'd the real actor on Instagram, <laughs> shout out Jaron Lewinson if you're listening. He goes to USC. He's our age. He's not 30 like PHY. Also, I will say... Watching Paxton, knowing that he's 30, hits so differently. Yeah, it's it's it kind of ruined it a little bit. It kind of ruins everything. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm team Ben, just because I'm like, they're like meant for each other. They're no, both they are. nerdy and they both are so competitive and they just feed so well off of each other in a bad way, but also in a good way. And Paxton has just been constantly up and down in his embarrassment of seeing Davy being seen with Davy. Yeah. And, and Paxton did grow on me eventually. Paxton grew on me. Obviously at the end, he has his redemption moment yeah. of coming to the dance and, you know, kissing her in public, but he is a bit caught up in the social scene and cares a lot what other people think about him and lacks a bit of ambition and motivation and, even though he does cultivate that and he did get yeah. his grades up. I'm not being fair to him. No, I think I just, I don't know. There's something about Paxton that I want to love, but there's something that I can't put my finger on 
that maybe it's the fact he's 30. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's because he's 30. Maybe it's also because he just, it just troubles me the way he is so easily brought back into the social scene. He, there's a lot yeah. of underlying insecurity sure. in and after. So at that same party, Davey runs after Paxton. Paxton gets hit by a car running away from her. So everyone's like, crazy Davey strikes again and that because of that his scholarship to Stanford is compromised so he has to have Davy tutor him um, in order to get his grades up so that also excites some sparks and romance meanwhile Ben still hates Davy's guts we also have another major important plot point which is that Anissa gets introduced which is Davy's Davy initially thinks, oh, this is going to be my rival. A cooler, prettier Indian girl is showing up at school. Absolutely not. Yes. So she gets really defensive at first. And like, this girl is infringing on her territory when she actually ends up becoming really good friends with her and realizing that having an Indian friend, having someone that you can share so much with just based on your background is extremely important. And she ends up becoming very close with her. There also is a bit of a falling out between them, though because and we'll dive into this more Davy ends up unintentionally starting a rumor that Anissa is anorexic which turns out to be true and not an actual rumor so Anissa really goes through it because of Davy it's just one of Davy's hot-headed moments where she spews and really ends up harming someone so it's also such an it's such an accurate depiction of how rumors get started in high school. Yeah. She's so frustrated. She's tired. She's obviously blowing a gasket and she's almost venting to a friend, except for the fact that there's no friends there and the popular girls yeah. happen to be listening. And she is talking about how much she hates her. And she just says out of nowhere that she's anorexic. She yeah. And she's like, she never totally anorexic. She didn't even eat that brownie. Yeah. Which is just, I think it was really well done because like you said, it's a completely accurate depiction of just how simple it can be a rumor starting and basically ruining someone's life. Yes. And then the girls who do listen there go, that's so sad. We probably shouldn't tell anyone, right? That's like really personal. Meanwhile, it spreads around the the whole school. I actually really liked that part where they like track where. Yes. Where they track to spread the rumor. Yeah. They track, they go. And they talk to this person. That's when and they leave back to whoever. And then by at the end, there's 10 different stories of who told who and how the truth broke out. Obviously, Davy had to come clean because she felt such guilt. Yeah. Which was a, I think that was really big of her because she easily could have not. And we saw no. that, we saw that option for her also explored in the show, but she was having this intense guilt that was eating her alive and she ended up deciding to tell the truth she ends up getting suspended which is very difficult for her because she loves school school is her life and she, she ends up back to school many she sneaks times. back to school yeah who sneaks back to school nobody um i think that's like a general recap of our season we're definitely yeah. going to hit on a lot of other things there's a lot of side plots yeah. common makes a cameo oh we love that and a little bit of tidbit of information that we're going to talk about li- later, but Victoria and I are um, 
huge fans of Lin-Manuel Miranda and everything he does. And he has, he started in a hip hop freestyle group called Freestyle Love Supreme. And that turned into a Broadway show that is now coming back on Broadway. I'm so excited. I need to see it again. And it is an improv group um, that it, it plays on audience interactions. So you give them words and they create stories about it. They create raps about it. They create a rap of a day in someone's life. It's unlike anything you've ever seen before. And if you've ever- One of the best Broadway shows I've ever seen. Unbelievable. Maybe the best. Honestly agreed. Um, And one of the head guys in Freestyle Love Supreme happens to be Mr. K on Never Have I Ever. Yeah. When I saw him, I screamed a little bit. (laughs) My face lit up. He is unbelievable at freestyling. He's a person of a man. He's incredible. He also has been in Pitch Perfect. He's an unbelievable singer. Yeah. He's the one in the treble. Yes. He's the low guy in the, in the, you spin my head. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry. I just saying that was bad. Um, he also was supposed to be Aaron Burr in Hamilton, but had some alcohol dependency issues that he needed to work out. So Lynn had to find someone else pop pop in Leslie Odom Jr. We would have such different lives if Utkarsh was. We're gonna do a whole podcast about how what would happen to what would happen if Leslie Odom wasn't Aaron Burr. Hundred percent. Okay. Well, I'm extremely excited for that. So. One of the most, I found, interesting plots of this season was the exploration of Nalini and her kind of inner psyche, I would say. You kind of get her perspective on a lot of things as an immigrant mother. And Hannah sent me this really amazing article that was all about her um, perspective being an immigrant mother and I think you have an excerpt that you want to read. One of the first things I did after I finished this season was I wanted to see all of the content that came out. As a content creator myself, I needed to see what other content, what people are talking about. I've always thought this show has amazing representation, which we'll also talk about. But there's just, my mom and I were talking this morning about Ted Lasso. And even though that show's so popular, they were saying that it lacks extreme diversity. And I was just saying to her, when you compare a show like Never Have I Ever with a Ted Lasso, you see the lack of representation is crazy. Yeah. It is so deliberate. Every single person who's been cast in Never Have I Ever, why they're there, who they're representing, and what stereotype they want to break down. It is unbelievable. I know. And Ted Lasso, even though I know you just not shit. No, I I love Ted Lasso. No. Yeah. It's still been on my list. I still need to watch it. Oh, don't worry. We'll do, we'll do more about more on that later. The second season just came out. Um, okay. So basically I found one of the first things I found was this article in Vanity Fair called never have I ever season two and the beauty of tearing up the immigrant mom trope. I thought this was super interesting because in some ways, Nalini is such a typical, typical Indian, what you would say, a tiger mom, the horrible stereotype. Um, but in other ways, she really leads with love and vulnerability and just really wants the best for her family. So I thought this article had a really fresh take on this, especially considering other representations of Asian immigrant mothers. So I just wanted to read a bit of an excerpt from the article. So 
Consider the Asian immigrant mothers we've been introduced to on screen in recent memory. In Crazy Rich Asians, Rachel Chu's single mom exists to warn her about the in-laws and whisk her home when things fall apart. In Alan Yang's Tiger Tale, Zen Zen serves as an unhappy foil to pin Ju's unyielding sense of sacrifice, which is what takes center stage. In Master of None, Aziz Ansari's literal parents are presented as a single unit. And while Minari gives us a wonderful ambivalent Monica, she still primarily exists as an antagonist to her husband's American dream. These contemporary immigrant narratives are necessary and important in their own right, but it's no coincidence they're filtered through the first generation, usually millennial lens, and that their respective authors and showrunners experience themselves. Do they make people like me feel seen? Oh, yes. Are they also inherently limited? Also, yes, especially when the standardized first-gen point of view relegates the mother character as simply part of our origin story at best and our main villain at worst. I really almost cut you off, but I just love that Minari shout out. Me too. Minari's a fabulous film. If you if you um, have ever wanted to watch it, if you wanted to watch a movie, talk about representation with also a stunning child actor, like you've never seen Alan before. Kim. Alan Kim. I think. Alan Kim. Yeah. Alan Kim's performance in Minari is oscar worthy he should win a nobel peace prize for the amount of i just you've never seen talent in a young person it's the best child acting i've ever seen and yes i have seen jacob tremblay in room and i've also seen brooklyn prince in the florida project and i would say alan kim's performance rivals both of theirs and goes above and beyond so if you're ever in the mood for a foreign film minari is it so I really enjoyed reading that article about Nalini and her experience as a mother. And also from the perspective, I think the author of that article was, um, I assume, the daughter of an immigrant mother yes. based on the way that she wrote the article. And something that was also mentioned in the article that I found really interesting was how Nalini finally is able to succumb to help because she's this strong figure raising her child alone now in another country and she finally goes back to India because in the first season she decides that okay we're moving back to India I need help I can't raise you alone and in the second season she goes and visits India and she goes to see her family and she finds no emotional support whatsoever and she thought that that's what she was going to get exactly when she gets there she ends up visiting Mohan's her deceased husband's mother and that's where she actually finds some emotional support her Mohan's mother starts like scratching her head she's like no no and then she just finally like let's go and you just like see this release and it's just it honestly just like made me happy that she finally has someone looking out for her after all this she has been so steadfast in being this strong woman for a daughter who let's face it has some issues and she just I think gets not fed up but she just really needs a break and she actually ends up inviting Mohan's mother back to the states with her she decides she's not going to move to India and the mother-in-law moves in with them which for most people may sound like a nightmare, but she, um, she welcomed it with open arms. 
100%. And also, I think it's so interesting to watch Mindy Kaling as a writer evolve over time because you have shows like The Office and The Mindy Project where there's not one mention of an adult. I mean, Jim and Pam are parents, but it's not a mainstay of the show and they don't talk about their, you know, struggles in raising kids. But Mindy Kaling is clearly at such a different point in her life right now. She's not a young Hollywood. I mean, she's still young, but she's not a Hollywood actress who's just looking out for themselves. She's also a mother to two kids and a single mother. She never got married. She never wanted to get married. She had kids through a surrogate and a sperm donor. I mean, sorry, not through a surrogate, through a sperm donor. And she, that was never a question for her. It was never in the cards of, she never felt like she had to make a statement saying, I'm not going to get married or I don't need a partner. She just did it, had two kids. And obviously there's a lot of effort behind raising kids, but she's done it and also fostered such a beyond successful career. And you can really see her focus now in her writing is being a mom and also being a mom who is allowed to be different from her own upbringing and her own mom. Her mom died, um, I think in the early 2000s, and it was obviously a great struggle for her, but she talks about her mom now and saying her mom was very much so the mentality of, we need to do this, we need to get this done, however we need to get it done, we will. She was a very successful OBGYN, and she was very harsh on Mindy growing up, and I think Mindy wanted to have the sense of identity that was her mom, but also the sense of, you know, the velvet brick, the person who's able to be hard and stern when they need to, but also soft and comforting when they, when they also need to be. The velvet brick. I like that. Where's that from? Um, just that from? is actually from Camp Echo Lake Council Orientation. Oh, so that I really like that. That on that. Thanks. Just never heard that before. I thought you just made that up. You educated queen. I'm not not that creative, unfortunately. (laughs) Oh, stop it. You're so creative. Um, Okay. But yeah, I just, sorry. I just love her character so much. She she also learns to kind of accept Davy for who she is and trying to just stop putting band-aids over the problem and finally acknowledging it's also hard because they don't talk. Grief is such a large part of the show, but at the same time, they're not sitting down talking about their feelings like a Jewish family would. <laughs> yeah. They're still very closeted in their emotions. And at, and at the end, this article also talks about towards the end of the season, you see her really break down and being comfortable in her emotions about how sad she is about the death of Mohan. Yeah. And I think, well, right now could be a good time to jump into her relationship with yes. Dr. Jackson, who is played by none Common. other Common. And it's honestly nice to see the dynamic between them. They actually started as enemies a little bit. We we love another enemies to lovers trope. Totally. And competing dermatologists to lovers. <laughs> yeah. She tries to sell him her patient list for a very steep price. He denies because she's supposedly moving to India, ends up not moving. They end up having a little romance. And I think it's really nice to see her exploration of dating after having lost a husband and we also see Davy really really struggle with this and Nalini kind of lies to her to I guess lessen the blow of the fact that she is starting to move on and start to think about it and I think a really tender moment is when I think it's after Davy crashes the date and they're 
at home and she's like, I can't believe like, I'm going to mess up like what actually was said, but I can't believe you'd like move on so fast. Like, do you even care? And Melanie's basically like, you don't understand how much it physically pains me that your father is gone, Yes, but I have to go on with life. And I think that's just a, such an important message, like tragedy, grief strikes, and you have to keep going. And the world is moving on, whether you like it or not. So at some point you either have to sacrifice your life and your happiness or you can continue to move on while still acknowledging the person's life and celebrating them. Yeah. I really, I would, I really shipped common and. <laughs> oh, of course. I also oh, want the scene where, <laughs> where Davy realized Nalini lied to her or the scene where they talk about it because Nalini said something like, do you think you're the only person who can make crazy impulsive decisions yeah. around here? And it shows that, Davies at that point in her life where you realize your parents don't know everything they're as equally flawed as you and they're making it up as they go I think it's a really nice parallel between the two of them because going back to it Nalini is this strong woman who is trying to show that she's not breaking underneath and she is she she doesn't know everything parents don't know everything parents are just kids grown up like that doesn't mean that they actually know what's going on and I think that that line was really important and I think it struck a note with Davy because she was like oh I I guess I guess I'm not the only one that makes crazy decisions and it's also show that you have a woman who can make contradictions for herself too because you both have Davy and Nalini they're both extremely smart extremely bright extremely successful in their careers and in their you know academic life and then they also have this underlying great pain that that is kind of contradictory and like this insecurity and this need for male attention That also is contradictory. Like you realize Davy has so much going on in her life, but needs like desperately craves this coolness and this male attention, even though she has supportive family and great friends. And Nalini is so amazing in her career. She wins the dermatology award. She has a burgeoning private practice, but she also needs that familial comfort and also has no idea what she's doing raising a teenager, despite her great competence. Yeah. I think that, we were just kind of talking about this, how Melanie is also in her own way, a flawed character. And I think that just diving into it, I just love the way that each of them are written. Obviously this show is freaking brilliant. Like unbelievable. But if you can't tell, we love the show. We're huge. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I think just jumping back into it, Davey as a whole, this season really shows how much of a flawed character is how much of a flawed character she is just because of the fact the whole time when she was deciding between Ben and Paxton, I wanted to literally go through my computer screen and shake her and shake her, like make a decision. I understand that's probably a lot to ask for a high school student who finally has male attention from two boys that she actually likes. And I'm sure if either of us were in that situation, we'd, we'd be thrilled. We'd be like, wow, two boys. But yeah, it's just, I guess coming from a different perspective, like looking at it from the outside, it's just, you, you can't, you cringe, you need her to make a decision. And it's just another excellent way of showing this flawed character that she can't even make a decision on which boy she likes better. 
And you also see her trying to fix her flaws and apologizing to Anissa after starting the rumor of her anorexia in the worst possible ways. When she came out with the marching band and cheerleaders (laughs) and the banner, I mean, I wanted to yell at her just as much as Ben Gross did in that moment. Because there's such a self-centeredness and narcissistic personality to Davey to the point where she really, I mean... Yes, you are looking at the show partially through her lens. So the world, in some senses, does revolve around her. But in other words, she lacks self-awareness in such a huge way that all teenagers do. And is so impulsive and so harsh and attacking, but also such a vulnerable girl who really is still healing from her father's death, who does not have anything figured out, who's feeling lost, who is a minority and not necessarily so comfortable in her own skin. And I think she also really does have the best intentions. She doesn't go with malicious intent. She, it just so happens that things always go awry with her. She can't, she She just can't catch a break. She can't get it. Like there's something she's always missing. Maybe it is the self-awareness. And I think her therapist does try and help her with that, which I always love the therapy scenes. I think the questions she asks are so introspective and just like perfect. I strive to be that therapist. I strive. Victoria will be that therapist. I hope. Hope I can be as stylish as her showing up, going out for you know a hot date <laughs> yeah after. I, well her outfits are normalizing therapists and having good style I know we talked yeah. about that last time. that's just really important to me therapists aren't all frumpy and they're old. not frumpy and they're not old they can be and I'm sure there there are very successful people who are frumpy old therapists but they also can be young and have good fashion sense exactly so another thing that we've touched on a little bit, which I wanted to just mention more is the anorexia plot line yes. with Lisa and Hannah had mentioned before in our little pre-podcast discussion that they never actually show Anissa's body or they show her body, but it's but not it's always exploded. covered. Yeah. She's wearing like baggy clothes. She has thick style. She's always wearing really oh, cool outfits. Amazing outfits, but she's always but You covered. wouldn't think, you wouldn't like think like, oh, she's too covered. That's not something that you're thinking, but after you notice it. Yeah. But after you actually pointed out, I was thinking back, she's never wearing like a crop top or a no. tight shirt or anything that and it's never showy. done in a way that's so obvious. But looking back, you know, I just said I was rewatching the show with my mom. She's always in long sleeves and yeah. long pants. Even she's wearing a sweatsuit, it's baggy. And then she, when she first comes in, she's wearing a fishnet shirt over a long sleeve shirt. Yeah. At one point, she wears a cardigan and a turtleneck with long pants. And it doesn't look odd, but there's a sense of them being respectful about the anorexia plot line in saying this isn't a how-to the inspiration we're not going to show her eating three almonds a day and then exercising vigorously because we don't want to give people ideas about what this how to achieve this disease and how to achieve this or how it should look even because you're not even seeing the body portrayed in such like the typical sickly way that anorexia is portrayed or like that voyeuristic approach yeah. of exploiting the female body in order to get a visceral reaction from the audience. Yeah. I thought that was really well done. And I'm glad that you pointed that out to me because I re- like, I would not have noticed that she was dressed any different and not that Davy is so sexy all the time wearing like the right. She's not. She's really not. But when you pair her with Anissa, I think that Anissa is definitely always way more covered. And I think that that's interesting 
especially after they point out that she is struggling with anorexia. Also, when you think about all of these after-school dramas of having characters with various mental illnesses, I'm like just thinking about Degrassi off the top of my head. (laughs) The portrayal is so cringeworthy and so dramatized and so not healthy for teens to be watching that I almost felt relieved seeing anorexia and also seeing a toxic relationship played on TV in a way that wasn't exploitative and just used for drama. Yeah, I think I kind of had an initial like gut reaction when Davy not confronts Anissa, but she goes to Anissa and is like talking about the rumor and Anissa finally is like, it's not a rumor. It's true. And I, I kind of had this like palm to forehead moment where I was just like, Davy, you did it again. You fucked it up again. How could you do this to someone that you actually care about? And obviously at at that point, Anissa had no idea that it was Davy that started the rumor, but there definitely was that initial reaction where I was like, oh my God, she's actually struggling and she's actually going through this. And now it's just going to be the butt end of the joke of the whole school. And I was just feeling really sorry for her. Um, but I think the way that they went about it was extremely well done. I also think the backstory behind Denise's anorexia of her being having to constantly be covered up for religious reasons. She said at her private school, she only wore clothes that covered her body extremely and the only thing people could compliment her on because they felt like they couldn't compliment her on her clothes was her slender figure so she felt like that's my identity I'm the skinny girl and then really embodied that and then had to go to inpatient treatment that's a very like a normal trajectory of somebody who has struggled with an eating disorder especially somebody who is a minority woman there's a lot of shame and a lot of not that there isn't for any woman or men or person who has an eating disorder but I think being a minority it's not talked about often and it's more taboo and less represented and a lot of weight is placed on a person's shoulders who has to deal with that and also be in be a specific person who feels like they aren't allowed to have an eating disorder yeah And the only, like, just going back to it, the only real way that Davy was, or she didn't even come to the conclusion. It was hot-headed. It was more like, let me pull on one thing that I know that. And it was just because she, what, she didn't eat a brownie? Right. That was the only reason. It's just so high school and so perfectly imperfect or imperfectly perfect the way that. 100%. It was portrayed in the show. The show is just so great at tackling all the issues, like all of them. Also, along the lines of mental health, we see Davy this season really struggle with mental health, especially when she's dubbed Crazy Davy by Trent. And at one point, she really starts to embody that and take it very personally. And it, if it wasn't her pushing phy in front of the hall in front of the car like a regina george moment it was her you know outing anisa and her being davy 1.0 and anisa being davy 2.0 and her creating a huge parade and her you know trying to 
sneaking into school when she's suspended and her crashing her mom's date. It when does sorry, I just cut you off interrupting your problems. But when does Anissa say maybe you really are crazy, Davy? When was that after? It was after the parade. I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Because Anissa is just in this completely vulnerable state where it actually happens that everyone in the school had gotten over it already. Yes. And Davy brings it back up again, doing another it, thing. If you're gonna apologize to someone, it also felt very the way of like the the grand gesture of apologizing through a parade. That's something you would see in Ten Things to Hate, Ten Things I Hate yes. About You, where you have Heath Ledger singing i love you baby and running across the bleachers to ask her to prom or you have easy a where she does that whole musical number knock on wood or you have like the grand gesture of like ferris bueller even in ferris bueller's day off yeah i was gonna say singing twist and shout um but it's it's such such an inappropriate use it's a grand gesture and it was such an inappropriate use of it like yeah and not that an apology can't be a grand gesture no it's just the thing that she was apologizing for it was just not something you need to broadcast yeah it was like anisa i'm sorry i I spread a rumor about (laughs) your eating disorder yeah oh god davy sometimes Uh, i really do just want to shake her yes and also at that point she was like my dad always said if you have, if you mess up really big, your apology has to be even bigger. So she also was trying right. to take her dad's advice to heart. She took it way too literally. And Horrible. she finally does have this realization where she understands her father did not mean big physically or big in another sense, but more big from the heart. It has to be that much bigger. As much as you hurt someone, it has to be 10 times bigger of a heartfelt apology. And then after after everything happens, the parade happens, Trent says, oh my God, I totally forgot all about <laughs> yeah. that. Now I remember she does have an eating disorder. Yeah. Also, side note, Trent me- making reaction videos to reaction videos. Oh. <laughs> hysterical. That's Wait, and Trent being And Trent being a, a sommelier. Wait, like- that was hysterical. <laughs> and then like- Trent, Trent being like, if we're women not supporting other women, like what can we even stand for? <laughs> we, I was, I think I was just most shook at the fact that Trent literally was, you know, spinning the line, watching the legs and giving the notes. I was like, okay, Trent, go off. I honestly or he was the son of a sommelier or something like that. that. That's a possible career for him. Totally. Um, so we have that Trent is hysterical. Then Adisa goes, well, you know what, Davey, you're, they're right about you. You are just crazy Davey. Then Davey, like, has flashbacks to every time she was called crazy Davey. And right. he starts to believe herself that she is crazy. And it's a really breakthrough scene with her therapist <laughs> where she asks her therapist if she's crazy. Right. And breaks down and is extremely emotionally vulnerable. And it's only once she gets to that point that she's able to accomplish what she initially wanted to do in therapy or maybe not what she wanted to do but what her mom wanted her to work through it was her grief with her dad and the underlying problems and that same type of vulnerability is seen when Nalini has to apologize to Nisa's mom and convince her to stay um at the school where she instead of being getting super defensive and leading with um embarrassment and shame leads with vulnerability 
and talks about how her husband died and how it's been really hard on Davy and how they life just isn't the way it used to be. And then Anise's mom is able to respect her so much more than just her bullies, her daughter's bullies mom. Right. But it's also really important because Nalini makes it very clear that the passing of Mohan is not an excuse for yes. behavior. It's just cause, I guess, for why she could be acting in this way. And I think it's really important because she wasn't going around throwing excuses. She wasn't like, no, not at all. My daughter did this because of this. It's just more of here are the facts. We are extremely sorry. We want you in our community. Like our daughters get along extremely well, obviously, except for this. Right. Except for this one little incident. One little hiccup. But other than that, I thought that was also a really sweet moment between the mothers and Davy and Anissa at the end when she's like, we did it. Like you can finally stay. I'm really excited there's going to be a season three right <laughs> obviously okay thank god I hope so i'm so excited um the last thing we want to talk about there's uh oh we want to talk about kamala's relationship with Prashant and also mr k yeah mr k our favorite freestyle love supreme star. there was like a small hint so I ship Kamala and Prashant way more than her previous boyfriend, who I don't even remember his name from season one. I don't remember him from season one. He, like, worked at, he was, like, a, wasn't he, like, a coach or something? Oh, my God, no, we have something else to talk about, Hannah, more about Kamala, her work in the lab. Oh, my gosh. Okay, all I have to say is everybody is always trying to shrink women, and this is a perfect example of it. Kamala does the first of all isn't taken seriously at all in her lab doing most of the work even when she thought when she well, first first when she gets there he's like clean the beakers do yes. this do that he's not allowed to speak to the head researcher because he's very busy because and she's not worthy of his time so she has to communicate through his assistant who's extremely misogynistic does not include Kamala in anything when she finally fakes being interested in all of these different at, like aspects of his life she gets accepted, but then she makes an amazing discovery for the research paper that they're writing and they don't credit her with the research. Well, it's, and- uh, it's the the discovery that the whole paper is based on, that yes. they write the paper on, which is discovered by Kamala and she does not even get her name. as Her name's not in it. And she is constantly told by other people, you can't make waves. You can't, you can't say that you need to be in it. You can't complain to your supervisor. Prashant says you can't complain to your supervisor, the famous researcher, because he's going to think you're, you know, complaining and he's going to think that you're, you know, greedy and and horrible to deal with. And Davy's mom says, you know, like, welcome to my life. Like being a woman in, in the, in the medical community, it's not that easy. And she channels Davy in that sense and always says, it says, Davy, can I run something by you? Would this make you mad? And Davy is like, you need to do everything you can at all costs to make sure that your name is on that paper. And she does. And she does. And she submits the paper and she basically tells everybody to buzz off and <laughs> says that she starts her new rotation next week and she doesn't even care what they think of her. I'm so proud of her. Honestly, I love the little parallels between Kamala and Davy because they are kind of positioned as opposites. But they learn so much from each other. They learn so much from each other. And I think we may even get a little more in the next season, I guess, where Kamala is taking more of 
taking more, not advice from Davy, but just a little more free spirit from Davy, yes. where she has this relationship with Prashant, but she also gets introduced to Mr. K and you see this little spark and she actually ends up leaving a dinner with Prashant and his family where she thinks that he may propose and she ends up going to the school dance to visit Mr. K. So yeah. a little bit of a cliffhanger there. We don't know what's going to happen. Also Paxton and Davy end up together, but we yeah. find out that Ben still likes her, even though he's dating Anissa. Yeah. Well, that was like another kind of subplot that we didn't really touch on because honestly it was kind of making me angry that Ben was with Anissa. Like, come on, Ben, come it's on. Just- it, it also was just showing his emotional maturity that he's able to support somebody through such a traumatic time yeah. that I actually appreciated it. No, I definitely did. more confident in my decision to be strictly on team Ben. Do you know what I also appreciated though, was how mature Davy was at the beginning. You could see her really struggle with the fact that her yeah. friend and her ex were together, but she's like, she becomes the bigger person immediately and just kind of accepts it and I think that that's extremely important especially for this high school student who clearly struggles with anger issues and she's able to just push this aside and I don't know she kind of ends up alone not ends up in the sense of the end of the season but throughout the season she's alone she's only tutoring packs and there's not actual emotions and then her the other boy that she likes is with this new girl yes but I think it was a nice way to end the season where you know, it's that typical rom-com scene where the boy comes. Shows up at the dance. Yeah, shows up at the dance. Dances with, well, they, oh, I actually love, they end up slow dancing, even though it's a fast song. Fast song. <laughs> yeah, it was a great, is that the last scene of this season? Yeah, I believe so. The I- only other thing is Fabiola also has a journey now that she's with her girlfriend, she still feels like she doesn't know anything about the gay community. Oh, yeah. She really struggles. And I love that they win cricket. Yeah, they win cricket. And she comes out in her and her robotics t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, in her robotics t-shirt. Mm-hmm. and so Or maybe she was still wearing pants. Or she's pants. wearing jeans. Jeans, yeah. Which is just like her returning to her, her true self. From, yeah. From the beginning of the series, which was just like a nice touch. But there were so many. If we were to actually recap every single thing that happened in the season, we could be here for like five hours. Um, we won't put you guys through that, but unless you have anything else to add about season two of Never oh, Have It Ever, go watch it now. Go watch on it. Netflix. Watch it in one night. Watch it in two nights. Watch it with your mom. <laughs> yeah, rewatch it, it with your mom. With your mom. <laughs> And I think that it about sums it up for our recap of season two of Never Have I Ever. We really hope that you enjoyed it. We definitely did. I always have a blast doing this. <laughs> but stay tuned for more summer syllabus. Thank you. We love you. Bye. Bye.